Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.com or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear kinsfolk. This is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, once again bringing you another Wednesday night Bible study. And tonight's topic will be serpents and worms, meaning we're going to be taking a deeper look tonight at the quote-unquote seduction of Eve and also why and how worms play into prophecy. So, today's date is October 16th, and I'm glad to be with you once more. Remember, Covenant People's Sermons are broadcast every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and also our pulpit sermons are released every Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as well. And it should be noted that this particular Sunday, we did not have an official pulpit release. That is because... I, yours truly, had to deal with a particular wedding. It was a wedding that I mentioned before on What Yahweh Joins Together. So, if you want more information on that, please swing by the Covenant People's website. The address was given at the beginning of this broadcast and will also be given at the intermission and towards the conclusion and download that particular sermon. But nonetheless... The seduction of Eve in Yahweh's garden has been covered and debated by practically every CI pastor in the dual seedline Christian identity movement, as this doctrine is either vehemently protected and or dismissed by Christian believers. That is, of course, because within Christian identity there is the genuine sect and there is the imposter sect. The genuine sect is dual seed-lying Christian identity and is pivotal and central to the teaching of the seduction of Eve, as is transcribed in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. But there is also a imposter sect of Christian identities. They go by the title of a single seed-liner. And they want to come along and they want to downplay important aspects like angels, demons, and even the devil himself. Oh, indeed, you heard correctly, dear listener. These sad bastards will come along and tell you, well, the devil's not literal, and it is your job to be able to mark them. Now, I have preached in upwards of 40 to 50 sermons, all dealing with the concept of Satan, even to the chagrin of the single seed liners, because they'll come along and say, well, Pastor Visser's a devil worshiper. He spends more time centered on Satan than he does Jesus Christ, which, of course, is completely untrue. But nonetheless, it is either protected by the dual seed line sect or flavor of Christian identity, or it's dismissed by the single seed liners who want you to believe that Satan is not literal. Should be pointed out around this time, dear kinsfolk, that it is Judaism that says there is no devil. It is Judaism who says there is no God either. But nonetheless, the only religion that exists that says there is no devil happens to be the Jews. 
So, mark these single seed liners that want to come in and they want to say the devil's not literal. In fact, we're going to prove that he's very literal this evening. <laughs> Ironically, when the third chapter of Genesis is read directly in the Hebrew, there are no contradictions, making the seemingly never-ending barrage of debate lie within man's own erroneous translations or their own inability to see what is plainly written. And so, dear kinsfolk, if you require an even deeper study on the seduction of Eve than I'm going to provide you with this evening, then please swing by covenantpeoplesministry.org and download the four-part series, Dual Seedline for Dummies. Indeed, this was done by Obadiah 118 of the ChristianIdentityForum.net and myself between the months of May 2013 and July of 2013. I believe that particular study, Dual Seed Line for Dummies, is in upwards of 10 hours with callers, all proving, without a doubt, that Eve was 100% seduced of the devil. Another particular sermon where you can find further emphasis on this particular teaching is my 2005 sermon, Bruised Heads and Heels. That's available in the special edition section of our audio archives. But nonetheless, we will cover this clear account for ourselves in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, please turn there now. Because in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent and Eve and Adam all have a dealing. Not only do they have a dealing with one another, but Yahweh God curses them all simultaneously for a specific reason. For example, the curse laid against the heads of all three guilty parties in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is considered to be the Protoevangelion, or the quote-unquote first gospel, because it's the earliest reference of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. Like that serpent of old, quote-unquote, many of his false prophets today use the same tactics of casting doubt on the inerrancy of our scriptures. By stating certain words don't really mean what they plainly say. We must continually keep our eyes on Christ because He is the Word incarnate. So as to not sink in the mire of their faulty interpretations. Also, dear listener, many early church fathers taught about the seduction of Eve because it's referenced several times throughout the Bible. Thus, this particular study on angels becomes rather necessary. And necessary for future generations to be able to spot those false prophets like Mark Downey who want to come in and say, Divorce is okay. The devil's not literal. All the while, they attack the genuine Christians based on their behavior. They say, You don't treat me so Christian. You don't treat me very nice when the reality of it is Scripture says they should be dead for being false prophets. Consider the irony behind that. While they attack you on straw man arguments and say you don't treat me the way Jesus Christ says. Buddy, if a lot of these false prophet single seed liners who have infiltrated Christianity were treated the way Yahweh God would want them treated, they would breathe no more. So take that to the bank, dear kinsfolk. This study on angels is not only necessary, but it's pivotal. It's pivotal for the coming second advent. So, for more information on their specific teachings, that is, the early church fathers, please go back and look at those aforementioned MP3 sermons dealing with the seduction of Eve. Because they deal with that in complete context and undubitably will leave you with no doubt. 
as to what transpired in the Garden of Eden. In fact, we're going to cover a few of those quotes from the early church fathers, and they've been covered in this very series, in the previous four, and the eight that precede it. Also remember that the forerunners of Christian identity doctrine all taught seed line. Thus, those who don't are simply not CI, dear kinsfolk. They're Judeo-Christians. In fact, they're more Jew than Christian because, again, it is Judaism that says there is no devil. So if you have your Bibles open, please turn to Genesis chapter 3. And we'll begin reading. Now, this evening, I personally will be reading from Noah Webster's Bible. It begins like this, quote, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Question? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. That, of course, is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and that is the Webster translation. So, if we want to have further emphasis on what this serpent is, we of course could go to Revelation where we read that that great dragon, also known as the serpent, who is Satan, was cast down to earth. Him and his angels were cast down and he deceives the entire world. Perhaps that's the reason why he's able to stand on the shoulders of idiot bastards, those who marry adulteresses, and are already consumed within their own flesh desires, their own sins, want to justify them, by saying, hey, I'm not literal. And they go along and they teach other people. What we just covered here is that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh God created. Now, remember this aspect. Yahweh God created those beasts of the field. Period. As per Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. How far removed do you have to be from truth to come along and sit there and say, there's no beast of the field. Uh, fallen angels made the Negro races. Come on, dear kinsfolk. says right there, and to deny that Yahweh God created the beast of the field is to deny his word. Yahweh God created them. And not only were these beasts of the field very subtle, which we see in today's society, the serpent, meaning Satan and or Lucifer, was more subtle than they. What does subtle mean, dear kinsfolk? But conniving, secretive, backstabbing. And that's exactly what the single seed liners do. Why? Well, it's because they're the devil's children. Naturally, it'd be the devil's children who come along and say the devil's not real. Why? Because they want to protect their father, the devil. Even if you're wrong, saying the devil's real is a good thing, is it not? After all, the scripture says, resist the devil and he, he, not it, not your flesh, he will flee from you. So remember this very important concept. Also, for further emphasis on what this serpent is, what a serpent is, please turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 14. And in the book of the prophet Isaiah chapter 14, verse 29, we can read this. Rejoice not thou, whole Palestinia, because the rod of him that smote thee is broken. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent. And the firstborn of the poor shall feed, and the needy shall lie down in safety, and I will kill thy root with famine, and he shall slay thy remnant. Now it should be pointed out that this exact chapter, Isaiah 14, also deals with worms. It deals with Lucifer. And not only that, 
it considers him to be a cedar of Lebanon. Now, I want to expand on that topic, what a cedar of Lebanon is, or a box cedar in Satan's case, because it will further emphasize a point that I left out in my sermon last week, titled, Words of the Book, where I pointed out Lebanon is symbolic of Israel, is it not? Indeed, yet, who is the cedar of Lebanon? Well, stay with us this evening, and you're about to find out, but what we just read this evening is... Do not rejoice, because this is the point where Satan is cast down. Here put the Assyrian. And don't allow some of these idiots to come along and say, well, that's the king of Assyria. Look up what Assyrian means in a Strong's Concordance. Look at all the prophecies pertaining to and dealing with the Assyrian, and you'll be able to see that it also, like the king of Babylon, like any king other than Jesus Christ, represents Sataniel, or Lucifer, that fallen one. And this is no different. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a serpent. That serpent is what we're dealing with this evening. So the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made, and what he did was come along and say, Yea, hath God said. The first trick of Satan is to cast doubt on the infallibility of Yahweh's commands by asking this question, Yea, hath God said. Trees and scriptures almost every single time represent people or family trees. You can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 31 verse 18, Luke chapter 3 verse 9, and also Jude verse 12. But, for further emphasis this evening, Ezekiel chapter 31 verse 18 says this, To whom art thou thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? Question. Yet shalt thou be brought down with the trees of Eden into the nether parts of the earth. Thou shalt die in the midst of the uncircumcised with them that be slain by the sword. Dear kinsfolk, understand this concept. Trees represent people. The devil's number is the number of a man. That's according to the book of Revelation. Whosoever has wisdom should be able to count and or reckon that number. It is a human number and his number is 600 three score and six. But nonetheless, trees in Scripture represent people. Thus, it is for this reason that Yahweh commanded that Adam not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil immediately before the creation of Eve as is transcribed in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This anti-adultery word touch, quote-unquote, spoken by Eve to the serpent is naga, which means, pay close attention, to lie with a woman, quote-unquote, as per Strong's Hebrew number 5060. Again, Strong's Hebrew number 5060 is naga, and it means to lie with a woman. So when we're reading here, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die, what we're reading is this word naga, and it means to lie with woman, meaning to keep the fruit of Eve's womb uncontaminated. That is why Yahweh God commanded it, and it was also why Yahweh God commanded the same exact thing for Mary, the mother of God. It was also Jesus Christ who often equated mankind to trees, like in this statement found in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43, quote, For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, Neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. So what do we see here? We see that Yahshua Messiah equates people to trees. 
And in this context, family trees. For a tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns, men do not gather figs. Yeshua Messiah also commands his followers to, quote, Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also is the axe laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth fruit, and or good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire, end quote. That, of course, is Luke chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Understand this extremely important concept. Because the modus operandi of a majority of these single seed liners is to come along and they will say, hey, I'm, I'm Abraham's seed. All these other people don't have a position and they're only partially correct in that. But what I'm saying is they spend a lot of time focused on their race, their pedigree, and not following the law. Not following the word of God, which says the devil is extremely literal. Not following what it says when it pertains to marriage, divorce, and adultery, and other exact dogmas. What they do is they'll come along and they'll pick and choose because they don't want to follow the whole of the word. And they'll say, well, I don't like Pastor Visser because he says that uh, people like me should be put to death because I'm teaching that the devil's not literal. I didn't say it, dear kinsfolk. Never once. The word of God says it. Now, what do you do with it? Do you follow the Word of God or do you listen to the single seed liners who say, don't follow it? Let's go ahead and attack other people based on their pedigree or what they teach, never substantiating our own dogma as well. That's what the single seed liner does. And there sure are a lot of them who will plagiarize me till come sick them. Will not stop. And then they have the audacity to attack me while they're passing off my own works as their own. But that's another study for another day. This is also the very reason why, by their fruits ye shall know them, quote-unquote, as per the mouth of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, verse 20. And as a side note, consider that the Catholics also state, quote, Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, when they pray their angelic salutations or their Hail Marys. Trees are symbolic of people, and fruit is emblematic of works, both good and bad, from Genesis to Revelation, and don't allow a false prophet to come along and take that from you. For more information on the quote-unquote trees that inhabited Eden, please be sure to read the entire chapter of Ezekiel chapter 31. It describes the same exact serpent as, quote, I, Yahweh, have made him, Satan, fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. End quote. That's Ezekiel chapter 31 verse 9. All the trees that were in the garden of God, which also happens to be Eden and or paradise, envied Satan. Go figure that. Why? Well, it's definitely not so he could come along and say he's not literal. Eve knew she was literal. Mary knew she was literal. And Revelation, most assuredly, more so than any other book, teaches a de facto man of sin, son of perdition, leader of all antichrists, being Satan. But it wasn't for the false prophet to come along and say that these angels aren't literal. Understanding that God's adversary is considered to be the prince of this world from the mouth of Jesus Christ, and is often greatly desired, should also shed light on why he was able to beguile Eve and later offer Christ, quote, the kingdoms of the world, end quote, during his own feeble temptations. And you, of course, can read about that in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 9. So, 
cedars of Lebanon happen to deal and pertain with Satan. Lebanon itself happens to deal with and pertain on a spiritual level what Israel is. So in my particular sermon, Words of the Book, which I believe was about two weeks ago, I left that part out. So I wanted to expand on that this evening. But continuing on in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, quote, I'll be reading Webster. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day ye eat of it, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant for the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. End quote. That's Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 in the Noah Webster's Bible. But don't miss the point that Eve believed that the fruit of this tree was something to make her wise. The devil appealed to her intellect. Just like the single seed liners do today. They come along and say, well, you're not very wise if you believe what the Bible says. That's Catholic tradition. No one from the Covenant People's Pulpit is coming along saying the devil has horns and is red-suited and carries a pitchfork, but yet that's exactly what they will accuse us of. It is the same exact tactic, dear kinsfolk. Get that through your head. The devil's children will come along and say, Yea, hath God said? Yeah, God just said. The devil's literal, did he not? I, Yahweh, have made him, Satan, fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. So, how do you transliterate that? You don't. You take it at face value for exactly what it means. But the way of the single seed liner is to come along and cast doubt on the infallibility of the word. They say, well, Easter means Passover. They point out all of these inconsistencies that we ourselves in dual seed line Christian identity have already addressed a decade ago. As if to say that you're an idiot to make you feel foolish for accepting what's plainly written. Well, it's both, dear kinsfolk. There's a deeper meaning to the Bible, but there's also what's on the surface. That's the simplicity that's in Christ. And if Christ says people equate to trees, then you better believe them. You have no other options. But the point I want you to take home this Wednesday evening is this point. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Which is exactly what sin is. The knowledge of good and evil. And that's how it still appeals to our people today. Satan's method is usually to mix his lies with a lot of truth. For example, stating, In the day ye eat of it, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil, was correct. Hear me, dear kinsfolk, that statement, that part of what Satan said was true. In the day ye eat of it, your eyes will be opened, you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. True. But, ye shall not surely die, was the obvious falsehood. Was it not? Because it was Yahweh God who charged her, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the devil came along and he gave her 80 to 90% truth. He said, Yahweh says all of this and all of that was true, except for this one part. He changed it. And the part he changed was that, you shall not surely die. What did the devil do? The devil added one word. Not. He added one word to Yahweh's initial charge and changed the entire context of Yahweh's initial charge, his initial law that was given to Adam. And that was, you shall surely die. The devil comes along and says, you shall not surely die. Don't miss that point. He appeals to the intellect and he wants you to think that Yahweh's word is not true. 
Yahweh's word is 100% legit, genuine, and Jesus Christ taught that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Period. Now we can debate what is the most accurate word of God there is out there, but I'm talking in a generalized sense. As a whole, the word of God, dear kinsfolk. So don't miss that point. The single seed liner does exactly what his father will do. And not only that, Jesus Christ expands in John chapter 8 that when the devil speaks, he speaks a lie and he speaks of his own because his own children recognize that lie is the truth. So you can come along and say the devil's just your flesh. Now keep in mind, nowhere in scripture does it say that. There's hundreds of prophecies and scriptures dealing with fallen angels and Satan by name. Yet there is not one single place that says Satan is your flesh. The closest they can come to that is the first chapter of James where they say every man's tempted through his own flesh. But it doesn't stop them from coming along and teaching it like it's fact, just like a Judeo-Christian, and having a majority of people say, hey, that sounds really illuminated. Wow, that's some forbidden knowledge. I'm going to turn against 2,000 years of Christendom for the words of an adulterer. Really smart thing to do, isn't it? There can folk get people do that. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you've enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel, would like to be a part of our fellowship, or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visitor's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts. You can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that had been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Hello again, dear friends. This is Pastor Visser, and I would like to take a few minutes and give you a few updates from Covenant People's Church and Ministry. On other sermons, you may have heard me mention that September of 2013 had the highest listenership ever. And indeed, those facts are true, confirmed by TalkShoe, our main webpage, Also, iTunes and YouTube in various places around the Internet where we've uploaded our MP3s, we've noticed a huge increase in listenership. And as a result, we've noticed even a little increase in support. And that support is very needed. It is only because of some of our loyal listeners who do send support that Covenant People's Ministry as a whole is able to continue into the future, at least by way of the Internet. While there truly is expense that goes with the ministry, the most important thing, I solicit your prayers. Your prayers for this ministry, your prayers for this church, are able to go far beyond even what us within our own flesh minds oftentimes tend to think we can do. We tend to think while we're in our natural bodies that it has to pertain with money. We do need money to survive within this kingdom that we live in today. We do need money to run a ministry, to fix our cars, and to even live and have water. But more than those things, Jesus Christ continually taught that we should be like the ravens. 
We shouldn't worry as to where our next meal will come from or who's going to feed us or how our bills will get paid. Now, naturally, each and every one of us has to go and work. We have to keep a roof over our head, especially if we have youngins. We can't really live the hippie life anymore. But, dear kinsfolk, what I'm saying in short is this. I believe that within the next 10 years or so, we're going to see a change. In fact, we're seeing a change within society already, even within the Judeo-Christian church. And as a result, I've noticed that many people who are Bible believers, who love the Word of God, they're also the ones that seemingly have no problem with what I preach. But there are many who oftentimes will rebuke, they'll attack, they'll see a video on YouTube and they'll send a rude little message, even though they themselves profess to be Christians. Many times they'll retract them because they realize that the truth of the scripture is undebatable. But what I'm saying is, I believe Christian identity finally, after 20 years that I've walked within it, will see its day. And as a result of knowledge increasing on both good and evil levels, many people are coming to this truth. It's not really a Christian identity dogma in as much as it is a Christian biblical dogma that Christian identity brings forth. It is dual seed line Christian identity who says if it's found within the word of God, then that is scriptural. That is what we need to follow. Not the traditions of men. Not what Joel Olstein or Billy Graham or other people have said. So, I would invite you to download one of my most popular sermons, that is, at least towards the latter half of 2013, titled, Words of This Book. Words of the book as a sermon was preached the very first week of October. But within a few short days of releasing it, it had in upwards of thousands of listens. And I say this because that, of course, is a good thing. Up until recently, I've pretty much refused to preach on prophecy. But that particular sermon was directly from the book of Isaiah, chapter 29 to be specific. And it dealt with and addressed a particular prophecy that Yahweh gave through his servant Isaiah. Dealing with his beloved bride, his children. Dealing with the aspect that each and every one of us will return to a full knowledge of the truth. And of course, the timeline for that particular prophecy is when every knee bows. But there is always, like always, a precursor to that. What I'm seeing in today's society, dear friends, is knowledge truly increasing. And as a result, there's not quite so many people who want to attack yours truly or preachers like me who preach what I do. It's not quite so funny now, and it stands to reason. A mere ten years ago, if you were to tell one of your closest friends that we would have a Negro president in America, they most likely would have laughed at you. And a mere five years ago, if you would have told your mother that homosexuals would be being married in certain states within America, they probably would have said, nope, not going to happen, not in my lifetime. But yet, here we are in that great apostasy, that great rebuild Babylon. And as a result, many people are walking along saying, I'm empowered. Empowered to do evil because the government, after all, has passed laws making it illegal to preach against homosexuals, to preach against miscegenators. In fact, we'll charge you with a hate crime if you attempt to. 
And this also is prophetical because Jesus Christ taught before the great and terrible day of the Lord, well, that evil will be lifted up. Why? Because society will give it a pass to sin. Say it's okay. And dear kinsfolk, we live in that era today. And as a result, the next decade or so, the future's unlimited as far as this CI message. But it takes supporters like you. If you're not able to send financial support, then you can always send postage stamps that will help us get newsletters into the prisons. If you're not able to send postage stamps, then simply a letter and or an email of encouragement will go a long way. And I'm speaking to you as your pastor now. Oftentimes, within this Christian struggle, it's very easy to become sidetracked, to become frustrated. And oftentimes, it's easier just to live a godless life. But it is the comments and the prayers and the correspondence that we receive from our listeners that help at least keep me spiritually equipped and spiritually desiring to bring new studies, videos, and so forth to you. Now, the next year, 2014, we expect to see many changes in Covenant People's Ministry and Church. We expect to be bringing in full-time the video element of our ministry, meaning that there'll be a lot more blackboard-type lectures coming from yours truly. We'll also be bringing the video camera into the Covenant People's Church, and you'll be able to see live every Sunday morning pulpit sermons from yours truly. All of this, of course, is made possible with the financial support of our listeners. We also are in the final stages of fine-tuning our voice recognition software. And, of course, the end result of all of that will see many new books being published out of our wing, Covenant People's Books. Because there are about 375 pulpit sermons that have been released since 2007 that do not appear in text format, that don't appear in any type of book form at all. And so we're hoping to overcome that final obstacle and bring many new books to you, the listener. Many new unintended Bibles and even a version of the Gospel of Thomas with commentary. So please, dear kinsfolk, keep us within your prayers. And with that important announcement out of the way, I would like to end this particular statement with a verse that's found in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges and or prunes it. Why? So that it may bring forth more fruit. So, my advice to you, dear kinsfolk, is in the year 2014... If there's anything we must do, it is purge and or prune those unsavory elements out of our life. And even those unsavory people who may have infiltrated our life and may be affecting our spirit. Scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And each and every one of us as Christians should be doing just that. And so my advice for the upcoming year, 2014, is just that. Purge and be fit for the use of Yahweh's coming kingdom. Do not be lopped off in the great and coming terrible day because it won't necessarily be that specific day. Everything leads up to that day. 
And while we see knowledge increasing, that is only a foreshadowing and a future proof that in that great and terrible day of judgment, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, everyone will come to a full realization of truth, of God's Word. And so, until next time, dear kinsfolk, this is Pastor Visser from the heart of the Dirty South, which is Brooks, Georgia, wishing you and yours great studies. Please stay tuned for the continuation of this particular sermon. Until next time, peace. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel, and would like to be a part of our fellowship, or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, so you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. And my warning to you this Wednesday evening is don't allow them to take that from you. Listen to them, by all means. But if the Word of God says something and a man spends all their time saying it doesn't literally mean what it means, you should be able to mark them as false prophets. Why? Well, that's the law of God. Read Leviticus and Deuteronomy. If a man speaks something and it's not to be true, he's to be taken out and put to death. Bottom line. Now you can take that and say, well, that just means prophecy, but is that what Yahweh God commanded? Not at all. Yahweh God says if you profess to be a preacher and you come along and preach something that's not in the Word of God, you are to be drug out and stoned. Bottom line. And Yahweh knows best, does He not? I don't think any of my listeners would debate that fact. So, His method is to give you 90% truth. Obviously, Adam and Eve didn't instantly give up the ghost. They didn't die right then, but they did. They both forfeited their once perfect and immortal state when they transgressed one of the primary commandments of Yahweh God. And this is confirmed by the New Testament teaching of Paul, found in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Quote, By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, and or all Adamites. An easier way of reading this verse in Romans would be by one Adam, sin entered into the world in death, or Satan, by sin. Sin is a what? A transgression of the law, dear kinsfolk. And because Adam and Eve transgressed death, or Satan personified, passed upon all men. Now there's going to be these chauvinist idiots who live in their mother's basement who come along and say, women are all whores. It was Eve's fault. No, quote that one other verse where it says Adam was not deceived, but Eve was. But yet what we see here is Paul saying Adam was responsible for the charge of Eve. Why? Well, they were married. They twain became one flesh, and no man can put that asunder, correct? So even though it was Eve, we mustn't miss the point that it was Adam who partook of that fruit with her. We already covered it this weekend. So he can blame, could he not? 
Or he could be even truthful and say, Yahweh God, the woman which you gave me gave me the fruit and I partook. That wasn't a lie. That wasn't blaming. That was the truth. But he partook. He violated the law. That's the point they miss. And they use that to jeopardize and hold people in bondage by pushing them down and saying women are no good. Well, (laughs) I wonder what type of women they're looking at. I wonder where they're looking for a future bride. It's obviously not within the church. Must be at a bar, coffee shop, or a house of ill repute. So continuing on, Cain and Abel were fraternal twins that brought their offerings to Yahweh God in the quote-unquote process of time. Other manuscripts render the same exact statement as at the end of days, or some even, their 18th year. But nonetheless, it was their 18th year. And it was the time of them to give their oblation to Yahweh God. And it was in the process of time, or at the end of days when they had fully grown, where they were to come along and they were to give their offerings. But Yahweh God had no respect for Cain's offering as it was not a blood sacrifice. And that's confirmed by Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Technically, the whole account. The Bible describes Cain as enslaved to the earth because the word tiller means slave or servant as per Strong's Hebrew 56, 47. Again, tiller. Where Yahweh God says Cain shall be a tiller of the soil. That word means slave. And that's confirmed by Strong's Concordance, Hebrew number 5647. Jesus himself teaches that Cain was the world's first murderer. So either God erred in that the firstborn man-child, Adam and Eve, was an executioner, or the serpent's interaction made him as such. Listen to me, dear kinsfolk. Can Yahweh God fail? Can Yahweh God err? Then obviously the serpent's intervention was why Cain was the world's first murderer. Jesus Christ tells the Jews in John chapter 8 verse 44, quote, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Now naturally, Cain was the world's first murderer when he took the life of righteous Abel, proving that he was not born of God. And that, of course, is confirmed in First John chapter 3, verse 9, where he says, Cain was born of that wicked one who, loving John, born of, ek ex in the Greek. There is simply no denying who fathered Cain. And the girth of Christendom has accepted this fact, and Obadiah and myself have pointed it out numerous times. I pointed it out in the first four parts of this Morning Star series. Furthermore, Loving John clarifies the seed line position more clearly when he continues, quote, In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Question, why? Why did Cain kill Abel? Because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. End quote. That, of course, is 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. But what it proves is exactly what we're pointing out. That whosoever does not righteousness is not of or born of God, like Cain. So he was born of the devil, but he did not have the breath of Yahweh God within him. Even though it was within Adam. Now go figure. Adam had the breath of life. 
He passed it on through Seth, because Abel, of course, was murdered, and Seth means replacement. And that breath of life went through all the children of Israel, all the way to the book of Revelation, where they're sealed up, where they're judged, where every knee bows. Cain didn't have that breath of life, that spirit or that conscience, or he wouldn't have murdered. Paul says, no murderer hath eternal life abiding within him. Cain did not have eternal life, because he was not born of God. Cain was born of the wicked one, that literal fallen angel, Satan himself. Don't allow a man to come along and tell you that the devil's not literal. Why? Should be common sense. And I really hate digressing and spending so much time trying to prove this point. Because it really needs no proving. The word of God says it's there. But my point with a majority of what I've been teaching on the devil is to forewarn my listeners. And they're substantial, I might add. But I want my listeners to know that there are people out there who go by the title of Christian identity and they are the most vile, mouthed, debaucherous people known to mankind. They are an abomination in the eyes of Yahweh God. And the single seed liners are one such sect. They're part of it. There's a lot more people who go by our title, but they don't teach what the Bible, what Jesus, what Swift, what Compare taught. They teach what's within their own heart. And perhaps there's nothing worse than that. Somebody who's a divorcee and has been remarried who wants to justify divorce within the scripture. Somebody who prophesied the end of the world would come and it didn't come and tries to justify himself within the scripture by saying, well, I didn't really prophesy because prophesy means to teach. The word of God is true. Every man is a liar. Continuing on in that word of God, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God amongst the trees of the garden. And Yahweh God called to Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now do you think Yahweh God couldn't see him because he was behind literal trees? Or do you think Yahweh God couldn't see him at all? What the teaching is here is that they hid themselves amongst the trees of the garden. And again, trees represent people. We've already covered that. So Adam and Eve attempted to blend in, did they not? And Yahweh God says, where are you? Yahweh God walked with them. He walked with Enoch. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And what Adam and Eve sacrificed when they were cast out east of Eden was their ability to hold Yahweh's hand, to walk with him, to ask him a question de facto. So, we mustn't make the same mistake. After the eyes of both of them were opened, quote-unquote, Adam and Eve knew instantly that they were naked, I wonder why. And they attempted to cover their nudity with aprons, here put loins cloths, made out of fig leaves. When they hear the voice of Yahweh in the garden, they both feebly attempt to hide themselves from their own transgression and shame. While he was still living, it should be noticed that Cain is not listed in Adam's genealogy as found in Genesis chapter 5. More specifically, Genesis chapter 5 verse 3, quote, Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his own image and called his name Seth. Not Cain. Cain was still living at this time, dear kinsfolk. Cain is not listed in Adam's genealogy where everyone else is, go figure, because Cain simply was not born From Adam. As per the mouth of the Apostle John, he was born of the wicked one. As per the mouth of the Apostle Paul, he was a child of the devil and abode not in the truth, just like Jesus Christ said in John chapter 8 verse 44 when he dealt with those Jews roundabout. 
Seth's name does mean replacement. That's confirmed by Strong's Hebrew, number 8352. And scripture states that he was begotten in Adam's own likeness after his image, unlike Cain the murderer. Get that down. Only Seth was begotten in Adam's own likeness after his own image, while Cain was not. I wonder why that was. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Satan is called a serpent. He's also called serpent in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And that same serpent, or enchanter, says to Eve, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden of Eden? Question? Eve replies, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. End quote. So, interesting of note here is the word fruit. It stems from the Hebrew word peri. And according to Strong's Concordance, it means to bear fruit, grow and or increase, meaning to be pregnant. However, Brown Drivers Bragg's Hebrews definition explains the words much more specifically with the straightforward definition of, quote, fruit, offspring, children, or progeny of the womb, end quote. Keep in mind that Satan's number is the number of a man, as per Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, and we touched upon that briefly at the beginning of tonight's lecture. So, as a fallen angel, he's the perfect man. And Seth's name means substitute. He is listed in Adam's genealogy, and not Cain. And we've already covered that from Genesis chapter 5. So, for further clarity on this specific aspect, please read my sermon, Trees and Stars in the Garden of Yahweh. It was released in 2005. And it will fully explain to you and leave you no doubt that Cain was born of the wicked one, just as John, Paul, and Jesus Christ confirmed. Adam and Eve didn't cover their mouths because they ate a proverbially forbidden apple, as taught by easy believism. They both covered their genitalia as these were the objects by which their offenses were committed. After the original sin and judgment of Yahweh God, Adam names his wife Eve, meaning, quote-unquote, the mother of all living, as per Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. And that, my friends, covers both the wicked and righteous seed lines. He didn't name her Eve because she was the mother of just the Israelite race. He didn't name her Eve because she was the mother of all righteous. Rather, he named her Eve because she was the mother of all living, meaning every person that breathes and draws breath. Now leave it to the single seed liner to say, I don't like the fact that the mother of our race is considered to be a whore by sleeping with the devil. A, I've never called Eve or Mary a whore. That's what Jews do. And B... Who says it's the mother of your race? It's the mother of all living. Adamite, men, women, and children. Every Adamite has the soul and or breath of God. But they're not all Israel. And that's a side study for another day. Continuing on in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. He, who? Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who? Yahweh God. Who told thee that thou wast naked? Question. Hast thou eaten of the tree which I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And Yahweh God said to the woman, What is it that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I ate. End quote. 
And that, of course, is Genesis chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But what we need to see here is that Adam didn't blame his wife. That's exactly what the narrative says. He answers Yahweh God truthfully. He says, The woman which thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. That's what Adam said. Now, what does the account say? The account says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and ate, and gave also to her husband with her. And he ate. So Adam fessed up. He didn't blame the woman because the woman was at fault, even though Adam was responsible for it. More specifically, they were both responsible for it because they were joined in the union of marriage. What is this that thou hast done? The woman says, the serpent beguiled me and I ate, quote-unquote. So Adam telling God that Eve gave him the quote-unquote forbidden fruit is not an attempt to cast blame on the woman like many feminists want to teach, who shouldn't even be teaching the word of God in the first place. It's the straightforward biblical account. Eve took of its fruit, ate, and gave to her husband with her. Adam was truthful with his creator about what had transpired between the three. Most likely due to the fact that he knew, Yahweh knew what happened anyway. Eve was outright seduced by Satan the serpent. And that is confirmed by Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 and Revelation chapter 20 verse 2. In Hebrew, the word beguiled is nasha, which means to seduce, period. And that's confirmed by Strong's Hebrew number 5377. And in the Greek, it's expatio, which means to seduce holy, according to Strong's Greek, number 1818. Like when it's used in this statement by Paul, quote, I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, end quote. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And that ties perfectly into what I've been teaching this evening already. The way of the devil was to take the simple and make it complex. Simple was saying, in the day you eat of this tree, you're going to die. Complexities and confusion, more specifically Babylon, came in when the devil says, you shall not surely die, when he added that one word. The simplicity of Christ is that the devil is literal. Jesus Christ says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. The complexity is when man will come along and remove you, seduce you, beguile you from the simplicity of the Word of God. The simplicity of Christ, who is He, the living Word. By coming along and saying, well, Satan doesn't mean what it really means when it really does. By saying, the Word doesn't mean what it really means when it really does for every generation and every age. The moment you think you have it all figured out and you're smarter than everybody else, you better check yourself, dear kinsfolk, because that's exactly what the devil did to Eve. Come on, yea, hath God said? So much so and so convincingly that Eve said, I don't have to hearken unto Yahweh God. I don't have to hearken unto my husband who charged me and told me exactly what God said. That's exactly what the devil does to the single seed liners who are his children today. They remove you from the simplicity that's in Christ, the living word incarnate. The word of Yahweh is straightforward. It's when man attempts to add his own interpretations to it that it suddenly becomes muddied and false doctrine is produced. So we, as the body of Jesus Christ, should not make the same mistake. And I want to slow this particular series down and release them one per segment instead of two. 
when dealing with the Morningstar series. Why? Because there's simply so much that can be added to it. When I initially wrote the Morningstar's book, it was authored in early of 2007. And while it is that knowledge has increased, I can attest to that fact because there's a lot more that can be added. For example, turn with me this evening over to the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 3, verse 9. We already dealt with this a little bit in passing, but I really want to center in on this so you'll be able to understand what I'm teaching here about trees. What the Word of God has always taught about trees. So in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, King James, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, what's a viper, dear kinsfolk, but a serpent? Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's a question. And that's a question from both Jesus Christ and John the Baptist because they both made the same exact statement. Bring forth, therefore, fruits. What do fruits come from but trees, dear kinsfolk? And fruits are symbolic of a person's work. In context here, we're dealing with a generation, meaning a race or a genios, of snakes. And they're being told, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. Don't say that. Because that is not as important as having a good work. You can walk around all day and say, hey, I'm an Israelite. I'm white. Isn't that great? But if you don't fulfill the greatest or the least of these commandments, what good does that mean? Jesus Christ is going to drive this point home momentarily. But here, they're being instructed, these Jews, these Pharisees, say not within yourselves we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also is the axe laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? Pay close attention. He answered and said unto him, He that hath two coats, Let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. So what's Christ saying with all this? He's saying that these things are more important than being Abraham's seed. What? If you have two coats, give one to your neighbor. Give one to your racial kinsfolk if they're in need. If you have meat and your friends are starving, feed them. That means a lot more than Abraham's seed. And why would he say that? He said that because that's exactly what the Pharisees did. What he's pointing out is that it is more important to do these things. To give to those who are in need. To feed those who are hungry, more so than being an Israelite. Why? Because the Pharisees, after all, would come along and make a religion out of this. They would sit in Moses' seat. They would say, well, I'm Abraham's seed. So much so, I don't have to sit with sinners and publicans. But they're not. Indeed, that's exactly what they did. And we see the same exact behavior within Christian identity today. It's not to say Christian identity isn't truth, because the Word is truth. And Christian identity is the closest to truth that we can come, or closest to the Word. But there are many people who come along and they say, well, all Israel saved, that's all I need to do. And they create a religion out of that. And they don't do the things that Jesus Christ said. Which is, do good one to another. And so, with that being established, dear kinsfolk and beloved listener, I would like to invite you to swing by again Sunday morning, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, for the second part of this study on serpents and worms. And of course, that will be the second and final part dealing with this. But we're going to deal more so with worms and exactly what they represent within Scripture. We're going to look at the egotistical Herod, 
his Herodians, what happened in their court, and also we're going to drive home the point that angels, the devil, are literal. This evening we covered what trees represent in Scripture and briefly touched upon the seduction of Eve. Again, if you require further study, look up Dual Seed Line for Dummies, parts 1 through 4 by Obadiah 118 and myself, and Bruised Heads and Heels, which I preached in 2005. But next Sunday morning, we're going to be looking deeper at what worms represent in Scripture. And, after all, Satan is another type of worm because that's what a serpent is. And so... Until next time, dear kinsfolk, thank you for joining me this Wednesday evening. Also, be sure to tune in in about two weeks on October 30th for the fifth annual Sam Hain broadcast coming from the Covenant People's Church. It's technically not annual because I think we missed one or two years, but in the last decade or so, we've managed to put out a special Sam Hain broadcast pertaining to All Saints Day, All Hallows Eve, and so forth. And if you'd like to get a head start on all of that, please swing by covenantpeoplesministry.org and download the MP3, All Hallows Eve or All Saints Day. That was a broadcast done about a year ago by Obi and myself. But it deals with Halloween and its origins. And so, until Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is Pastor Visser once again from the heart of the Dirty South, which is Brooks, Atlanta, Georgia, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given. That wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256. Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.